You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, y'all, anybody grateful to be the church this morning? Make some noise. Me too. Me too. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Brandon, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as always, I am so grateful uh, for the opportunity to be up here opening up God's Word with y'all this morning. Super grateful to uh, Pastor Josh for sharing this platform with me. But y'all do need to know something right out the gate. Uh, there is nothing that qualifies me in any way to be up here except for the perfect Holy Spirit of God that's living in me. You're looking at a broken sinner standing up here that for whatever reason God has chosen to communicate his Word through today. Uh, but but just to ease your mind, I want to tell you that I've been praying like crazy that the Holy Spirit of God that's living in me will be the one that does the speaking today and not me because I've got nothing for you. But I promise you, y'all, he has everything for you. Life change, eternity change. So we're in a series where we are reading through and learning from a book of the Bible called Acts. Uh, this book is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's got to be because it's just so dang good, y'all. Like there's so much that we can learn for, from it. If you read the entire book of Acts and your life doesn't radically change in some way, shape, or form, you read it wrong. Okay, you read it wrong. It seems like there are life-changing lessons hiding behind every single passage of the book of Acts. Like it is solid gold. But uh, that makes this series a little hard to preach because uh, some of the messages in this series can't just be about one thing or, or one lesson or one theme. And that's kind of hard because I like to have one theme to kind of center a message around. But a lot of the passages from this book of Acts uh, that we've been reading in this series, are, are, are they're filled with a, a ton of different lessons, a ton of different themes, right? And that's the case with the passage that we're going to be reading today. So I know it's hard to tell this about, you know, how in shape I am and all that, but I love to eat, y'all. I love food. Shocker, right? I love going to restaurants. And do y'all know what makes a good uh, restaurant, uh, uh, in my opinion at least, uh, it's not the, the quality of the food. It's not how nice or how clean or how expensive it is. It's the quantity of the food. How much food do they give you? That's, that's the question. That's what makes a restaurant worth going to. In fact, my favorite restaurants are the restaurants with those signs in their windows that have those four beautiful words, y'all. All you can eat. Oh, yes, my people here, y'all. Said it before I did. If I go to a restaurant that's brave enough to put that sign in their window, it is going down, and I'm going to put that to the test. And that is what this message today from Acts is going to be like. That's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of an all-you-can-eat buffet. It's like Golden Corral if the food was actually good and the kids didn't put their fingers all up in the, in the chocolate fountain, you know? That's what this message is going to be today. It's going to, kind of going to be all over the place. It's going to be a buffet, uh, all-you-can-eat buffet of life-changing lessons. We're going to be talking about a whole bunch of different things today because this passage that we're reading talks about a whole bunch of different stuff. We're going to get some spaghetti. We're going to get some pizza. We're going to get some steak. We're going to get some egg rolls, some hot dogs, all sorts of good stuff today. We're going to be in 19 verses this morning, and we're just going to, going to, going to learn different lessons as we go. That's all you can do as you preach through a book like this. We're just going to go down the buffet line of this passage and eat as we go. And by the way, the passage we're going to be in is Acts chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 19. And we're going to go ahead and start with verse 1. I think we have it up on the screen. Acts 12, 1. It says, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. 
Now, I got to stop already because just in this one first verse, there's already so much that we can learn. There's already so much that we can get. So here's the first course of our buffet meal this morning. Here's some spaghetti for you, some spaghetti for breakfast, okay? If you know your Bible, you probably heard the name Herod before, right? But you might be a little confused because you might have read about this guy Herod in a bunch of different time periods. And maybe you're thinking like, well, what the heck? You know, is this guy immortal? He must be over 100 years old. Here's the answer. There's not just one guy named Herod in the Bible. There are multiple Herods in the Bible. Uh, Rome was the world power of the time. They were oppressing the Jews, just like they were oppressing everyone in the world at that time, really. And the Herods were basically guys that Rome picked to be kings and governors over the Jews for Rome. And there's a whole line, a whole family of Herods in the Bible. First of all, this guy Herod that we're reading about in our passage today had a grandpa who was named Herod also. So there's Grandpa Herod. And if you know the Christmas story, the story of when Jesus was born, Grandpa Herod is the guy that met with the Magi, the wise men, and he's the guy that wanted to kill Jesus as a baby because he was scared that this baby Jesus might really be the real king of the Jews, and he was scared that he would lose his power and lose his throne to this Jesus. So what he does, if you remember, is he killed, tried to kill all the children two years old and younger in the land. Mary and Joseph had to flee to keep Jesus safe at the time. So Grandpa Herod was evil, evil evil guy. The Herod that we're reading about in Acts today also had an uncle named Herod. So there's an uncle Herod too. Uncle Herod is the guy that Jesus goes before when he's on trial, right before he's crucified. Uncle Herod is also the guy that had John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin's head cut off. So uncle Herod is an evil, evil guy too. And now with this Herod that that we're looking at this morning, we see that the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree because now here he is persecuting the church persecuting Christians, another evil Herod. This new Herod was evil, just like his dad, just like his grandpa, just like his uncle. He comes from a long line of evil. Y'all, have you ever noticed how the sins of the father are usually the same exact sins of the son? Or have you ever noticed how the sins of the mother are usually the same exact sins of the daughter? I notice that as I grow older, I start to resemble my dad physically more and more every day. And it is a bummer, y'all. I, I, did not, <laughs> I did not win the genetic lottery, to say the least, okay? For example, my dad is bald. His dad's bald. Uh, his grandpa was bald. So the odds are not in my favor, y'all. And it is a bummer. Also, my dad and his dad have this weird laugh that sounds like you're trying to start up an old car. Like, <laughs> I have that same laugh. I have that same laugh. And it's a bummer. <laughs> And in the same way, I also notice certain sins that my dad struggles with pop up in me sometimes. And that's a real bummer. And I really have to be aware of that. And I really have to take steps to fight against those particular sins. Because we pass our sins on to our kids just like we pass on our baldness and our weird laughs to our kids. It's almost like our sins are genetic. One of, the, one of the reasons I love preaching on Sunday mornings is because I get to talk to parents for once, you know. I rarely get to talk to parents as the youth pastor. I usually just get to talk to y'all as teenagers. So parents, future parents, people in here who plan on ever having kids one day, I, I want to say this to you every chance I get when I'm preaching on Sundays up here because I would be missing a really important opportunity if I didn't stop and beg you to eat the spaghetti from this buffet. I'm begging you to look at the Herod family and learn a life changing lesson here. I'm begging you, dads especially, leaders in your home, please do all that you can possibly do to break the destructive cycles of sin in your family. Like, 
Like that is your job as a parent. And maybe you're in here like, yeah, I'm going to do that. That sounds great, you know. But I'll tell you, and it's hard. It's hard, and it's going to require sacrifice if you want to do that, if you want to save your kids from those cycles of sin. It's going to require sacrifice. So, like, if your dad is an alcoholic, I think you need to avoid alcohol like the plague. If your mom is an alcoholic, I think you need to avoid alcohol like the Tennessee Vols avoid a national championship trophy, y'all. Like, really avoid it. Listen, I believe... I believe that uh, alcohol is a good gift from God. I believe that. And I believe that it can be enjoyed without sinning. Uh, there's only one thing that the Bible condemns when it comes to alcohol, and that's drunkenness. But if your parents were alcoholics, if they really struggled with this, then I don't think it's a gift that you can enjoy. It's not for you. This may be a big sacrifice that you need to make, not if you're trying to break the cycles of sin in your family. I think you need to stay away from that stuff if that's your dad's biggest struggle or if that's your mom's biggest struggle. Like, don't even walk down the alcohol aisle and crow if that's you. Or uh, if you have a parent that cheated on another parent who, who committed adultery, who let lust destroy your family and break your home, that's something that you need to be extra aware of and that you need to take extra precautions against. So guys in here, maybe you can't go to the beach or to the gym without looking at other women with lust in your heart, which Jesus says is the same as cheating on your wife, by the way. And, and that was a big struggle of your dad's too. I mean, that's a struggle for every guy, let's be honest. But, but if you have a dad who let his Rust, lust, ruin his marriage and break your home, then maybe you shouldn't even go to the gym. Like maybe you need to invest in a home gym if the gym is that important. And maybe you shouldn't even go to the beach. You know, just go to one of the many Dollar Generals to choose from in this town. Grab yourself a kiddie pool from Dollar General. You know, buy some bags of sand from Lowe's. Pull up Sounds of the Beach on Spotify. Close your eyes. It's like you're right there, y'all. Like that may really be what some of y'all may have to do to break the specific cycles of sin in your specific family. When Jesus said once that if your eye causes you to sin, then gouge it out, I think this is the kind of stuff that he was talking about. Or maybe... If your mom or dad is horrible with finances, right? Maybe they have a gambling problem. Maybe they have massive debt. Then you might not even need to have a credit card in your name. You might not even need to buy a $1 scratch-off ticket at the gas station. Or maybe you have a, a dad who, who had a job or a hobby that took him away from you growing up. And he basically abandoned your family for, for work or for his own hobbies. And as a result, he wasn't able to disciple you or to be there for you like a father should. Or maybe that was the case with your mother. Then you you need to make sure that you get a job where you have plenty of time off every week. You're not going to make as much money, but who cares, y'all? And there may be some hobbies that you personally can't have because it will replace your family like it did with your dad or like it did with your mom. And you don't know how to manage time well because you weren't taught that by your dad or your mom. And, and what's going to happen is you're going to abandon your kids just like your parents abandon you if you don't take these extra precautions and make these extra sacrifices. I'm not saying, y'all, that any of the things I'm talking about are necessarily sins. I'm just saying that these might not be things that you can have in your life personally because of your parents' struggles. And this is the stuff that you need to do personally in order to break these cycles. These are sacrifices that you may personally need to make. And maybe you're thinking, oh, Brandon, you know, that's not fair. It's not fair that I need to put all these extra regulations on my life because of my parents. No, no, it's not fair. But listen, who cares if it's fair or not? The real question is, do you want to break the cycles of sin in your family or not? Do you want your kids to struggle with the same things that you do and the same things that your dad did and that your mom did, right? Or do you love your children? Do you love your children and your future children enough to do whatever it takes to break those cycles for them and to save them from all that junk? 
The Herods didn't love their kids at all. In fact, they were known for killing their own children, and that may seem evil, but I think that's what a lot of us are doing too. I think we're killing our own children. If you've got destructive sin in your life that you're not making a serious effort to find freedom from right now, I think you're killing your kids. You're putting that on your own children because sin gets passed down like genetics unless the cycle is broken. Y'all, God has given you your children as a gift from him to be a steward over, and it's your job to break the cycle. And if you're young in here, or if you don't have kids yet, this applies to you maybe even more than it does to the people who already have kids because you have an incredible opportunity to break those cycles right now before your kids are even born. Don't be a a Herod, and don't let your family be a family of Herod, y'all. I'm sorry, but that was just first one, okay? I told you it's going to be a buffet today, okay? Let's keep reading. Here's verse 2. He, Herod, had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. In other words, Herod intended to kill Peter and execute Peter the next day. Um, all right, so let me give you some, some pizza now. We're walking down the buffet line as we read, and here's another life-changing lesson that we can learn from this passage from this story. See, our passage today, y'all, starts with a big blow. Starts with a big blow. It starts with a tragedy. Not only is Herod persecuting the church, Herod has just murdered one of the strongest and most well-known leaders in the church at that time, a guy named James. If you don't know, James was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. He was one of the apostles of the church. Actually, James wasn't just one of the 12 original disciples. He was basically in Jesus's inner circle. Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had three disciples that he was closest to, it seemed like, and that's Peter, John, and James. So James was one of the three guys who the whole church in the entire world looked to more than anyone else at the time. That James has just been murdered by Herod because Herod wanted the religious, wealthy Jewish leaders uh, to like him, and he knew that they hated Christians. And this is a big deal. This is like Billy Graham in the prime of his ministry being assassinated, y'all. Jesus was the very, I mean, James was the very first apostle to be murdered for his faith in Jesus. And not only has Herod captured and murdered James, he's also captured Peter and plans to murder Peter too. And we're talking about the Peter here, right? One of the first disciples of Jesus, one of the closest disciples of Jesus, another one of the inner circle that Jesus had. He may have been the main leader of the church at that time. Y'all, this is the Peter, if you remember back in Acts chapter 2, this is the Peter that God used to basically start the church of Jesus off with a bang when he preached one day on the day of Pentecost. He preached one day, one sermon, and over 3,000 people got saved with one sermon. That Peter is who we're talking about. Peter is the one that everyone looked to for direction in the church more than anyone else. That Peter has been thrown into prison, and he's been scheduled to be executed just like James in the morning. And our passage today starts right in the middle of that hopelessness. Starts right in the middle of defeat, right in the middle of incredible discouragement, depression, exhaustion. And listen, I know that we all fake a smile and we say, good, when the greeters at the door say, how are we doing? I know we do that. But some of y'all right now walked in here feeling defeated. Statistically, that's got to be the case. Discouraged, heartbroken over something, grieved over something, abandoned, rejected, depressed, isolated, lonely, scared, just flat out exhausted. 
Like I know some of y'all walked in here this morning feeling hopeless for whatever reason or that you feel like you're in a hopeless situation. Listen, this is what every single Jesus follower on planet earth was feeling in this moment. Hopelessness, hopelessness. Well, listen, y'all, if that's you, if you can relate to them, I think you're gonna find relief and encouragement in this story. Here's why. Because some people love to work outdoors, right? Some people love to work in offices. Some people love to work in classrooms. Some people love to work in mechanic shops. Some people love to work on the farm. But listen to me, God loves to work in hopelessness. He loves to work in hopelessness. When you think there is no hope, God loves to come. I'm just speaking from experience. This is what I've learned about God. God loves to come in right in those moments and say, yes, there is when you think you have nothing left, God loves to come in right at those moments and say, yes, you do. There is no such thing as hopeless with God. Hopelessness is not real for a follower of Jesus. And we're going to see proof of that truth as we keep reading the story. The church felt hopeless, but listen to what they were doing. Verse 5. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. I want to talk about prayer now. We're going down the buffet line of this passage, and we're eating as we go, and here's some steak for you. Y'all, here's some steak for you. Think about the hopelessness that these people were feeling, right? They probably barely had the faith, barely had the energy, barely had the will to even open their mouth to pray. They just lost James. They thought for sure they were about to lose Peter too. These were prayers from people who felt hopeless, alone, and scared. These were prayers from people who probably were barely able to get the words out through their tears and discouragement and exhaustion. Like, can you relate to that? Because I can relate to that. Being so broken down by by life that I can barely even gather the the strength to open my mouth to pray. Like, I've, I've been there a lot. But listen, when you feel like this, when we feel like this, we gotta remember all God wants. I really believe this. All God wants is for us to just show up. Just show up. Just show up in prayer, y'all. Just approach the throne of God. That's it. Just approach the throne. Just put everything down. Go away. Lock yourself in a room. Do whatever you got to do and approach the throne of God and just show up in prayer. If you don't know what to say to God or how to say it, or if you feel like you're just too broken down to pray, if you feel like you're too weak to pray, that's okay. That's okay. Listen to Romans 8.26. I found a lot of encouragement here. It says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So just show up in prayer, y'all. Just approach the throne. The Holy Spirit inside of you, if you put your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, and the Holy Spirit will help you pray when you're too weak to pray on your own. Even if all you have to say is just, ah, groanings, you know? That's way better than nothing, way better than nothing. So just show up, enter into his comforting, loving, gracious, glorious, fatherly presence. Just go to your dad. And while we're on this subject, let me tell you something else about prayer. Prayer is not just some Christian ritual, y'all. Prayer has power. I don't know if if you know that or if you believe that, really believe that, but prayer has supernatural, unbelievable, undeniable power. Because prayer is us talking in free, bold communication with the almighty, omnipresent creator of the universe, y'all. See, our sin, our sin against God used to separate us from God and keep us from having that kind of access. But Jesus came down, died on a cross, became a perfect sacrifice for our sins to make us right with the holy God. 
to give us access to God. So now we can be sons and daughters of God. And we can run to God like a child who runs to their father and be held and be comforted. That's the kind of access that we get to God now thanks to Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Don't waste that access. Don't waste that privilege. Don't waste the gift that Jesus bought for you with his life. We get to bring our request and our groanings and our helpless situations to the one who created and sustains the universe, y'all. And that's why prayer has power. This story that we're reading from in Acts this morning is going to help you understand the, the power of prayer. Because see, there's a fight. There's a fight going on here in the story that we're reading about. And this fight seems uneven. It seems one-sided. There's one side of this uh, fight that seems like the underdog. It seems hopeless. Uh, let me tell you about a, a one-sided fight that I was in once, my first fist fight ever. I was about 12 years old, uh, and it was fighting with my cousin, who was also 12 years old. Now, I was an, an oversized, say, to say the least, 12-year-old, uh, the same way I'm an oversized 28-year-old, okay? And uh, I'm, I'm standing next to my cousin, who is 12 years old, but she's also a girl, and she's also a lot smaller than me. And uh, I don't remember what she said, but uh, whatever she said made me so mad that I just reared back, and I just sucker punched her right in the braces, y'all. And she came right at me and tackled me. And uh, I, I'm kind of ashamed to say it, but that little girl uh, whipped my oversized 12-year-old butt that day. And I left me in the ditch crying for my mama. The fight between me and my cousin seemed uneven. It seemed hopeless for my cousin, but that didn't matter. She won the fight. Anyway, there's a fight going on in this story that we're reading that seems uneven, but that doesn't matter. Here's the tale of the tape, y'all. On one side of the ring, you've got King Herod. King Herod, King Herod was a king, but not only that, but he had the support of the global superpower of the day, basically, which was Rome. Rome was literally, uh, quite probably, the strongest and most well-resourced nation on the face of the earth at that time, with the deadliest and most well-trained military on the planet, and they were in Herod's, King Herod's corner. That's one side of the ring. And then on the other side of the ring is Peter. Lowly, broke, probably homeless follower of Jesus, Peter sitting in prison, about to have his head cut off probably. And, he, and, he, and in his corner are just some more hopeless, broke, persecuted, beat down, humble, exhausted, discouraged Christians. But they're praying. They're praying. You've got a king and the strongest nation on planet earth versus prayer. And we're going to see as we keep reading in this story, spoiler alert, y'all, even though it seems uneven, even though it seems one-sided, prayer is going to win the fight. But for now, let's keep reading. Verse 6. The night before Peter was, was placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. All right, so y'all, we're moving down the buffet line. Here's some macaroni and cheese for you, okay? Think about this, y'all. Peter was sleeping. He was sleeping the night before he was going to be murdered. No dread, no anxiety, no worries keeping him awake. Just stillness, just rest, just peace. Y'all, I have trouble sleeping when I've got a dentist appointment the next day, okay? But here Peter is sleeping when he's about to get his head cut off the next day. Peter was sleeping in the middle of a storm that was going on in his life. Peter could rest in the storm, though, because he trusted Jesus. Now, Peter wasn't always like this, though. Peter wasn't always like this. Let me read you a story about something that happened to Peter once that I believe changed his life radically. Peter was once on a boat uh, with the other disciples and Jesus, and all of a sudden this crazy hurricane-type storm broke out, and Peter thought he was going to die. Peter, this experienced fisherman, thought he was going to die. That's how bad the storm was. Mark 4, 38 uh, says Jesus was sleeping. 
He was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples, Peter, woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still, shut up. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then Jesus asked them, Ask Peter, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples, Peter was absolutely terrified. Love this. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. I think Peter learned his lesson that day. I think Peter learned that if he was truly following Jesus, and if he was truly on the path that God wants him to be on in life, then he has nothing to worry about because whatever happens with his life is a result of God's perfect will for his life. Because he's following the one who the winds and the waves obey. And if the winds and the waves obey him, everything and everyone else does too. Like, do you get that? Do you get that? When we're walking on God's path for our lives, we are walking on a path that's best. And even if, and, and, and even if we don't understand where, where we're at on this path, we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about where it leads because wherever it leads is where God, the creator of the universe, the perfect God, wants it to lead. When you give God control over your life, you can have that kind of peace like Peter had. Because if the winds and the waves obey Jesus, everything else and everyone else falls under his authority too. And Peter had no need to worry as a follower of Jesus. Peter knew that no matter how hopeless the situation he was in seemed, he knew that he was on God's team, the winning team. And Peter knew that, and you can know that too, and I can know that too. But here is the big question, okay? I don't want to leave it here. we got to ask ourselves this hard question. Are you sure that you are doing what God wants you to do with your life? Are you sure about that? Are you sure that you're walking in God's plan for your life? Are you sure that you've surrendered, like truly surrendered everything to him, everything? Are you sure that you have the kind of relationship with Jesus that you should have? Are you sure that you're really taking the time to listen for his voice to guide you, to read his words, uh, to do what he says to do in this letter that he wrote us called, we call the Bible? Are you sure that you're really taking the time to make the effort to approach his throne daily? Like, are you, are you sure about that? Are you sure that you're letting God guide you through life with the decisions you make, the things you do, the places you go, the people you date, all of that? Are you sure about that? Like, are you absolutely sure? If you are sure, then you have nothing to worry about, Christians. Nothing to worry about. And you can rest like Peter rested. Because that means that wherever you are in life, whatever you're doing, whatever you go through, you can rest at its result of God's perfect plan for your life because that's the plan that you're walking in. And God's plan is always what's best. If you're walking in God's perfect will for your life, you can have that kind of rest. That's why Peter was able to sleep before his scheduled execution. Peter's like, hey, they get my head cut off, but I know I'm walking in God's perfect plan for my life. So whatever happens, I know it's what's for the best, and I can find rest in this, and I can find joy in this. You can be like, hey, I, I got that diagnosis. I got that diagnosis, but and, it's, and it sucks, and it's devastating, but I know I'm walking in God's perfect plan for my life. And I know that whatever happens is a result of God's perfect will for my life. Hey, hey, I'm broke. I, I don't know how I'm going to pay my mortgage, but I, but I trust God. And I know I'm walking in God's perfect plan for my life so I can find rest in this, even this, and I can find joy in this. Hey, I'm changing diapers and folding laundry, and this feels meaningless, but I, I know I'm walking in God's perfect plan for my life. I know it, so I can rest in this. I can find joy in this. Hey, I'm in a season right now of waiting, it seems like. I know God has something in store for me, a certain job, a spouse maybe, a child, something. But God isn't opening up that door yet, and I'm just waiting, and it feels like I'm wasting time. And, 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 but I know that I'm walking in God's perfect plan for my life. Like I'm, I know that. I know I am. 
so I can trust God in the waiting, and I can have rest in the waiting, and I can have joy in the, in the waiting. Hey, hey, I'm going through a really rough season right now, but I know I'm walking in God's perfect plan for my life, so I can rest assured that whatever happens in my life is a result of God's perfect will, and I can rest and find joy in it because I've surrendered my life to him. Do you see how if we're sure that we're walking in God's perfect plan for our life, we can have rest and we don't have to worry or stress about anything because he's God, and it's not our job to be the God of our lives. It's our, God, our job to, to trust God with our lives and to know that he is God and that we are on his team as followers of Jesus, and we can rest in that. We can sleep in the storms like Peter. In fact, this is how much trust Peter had in God. This is how hard Peter was resting in God's sovereignty and God's perfect plan. Verse 7 says, suddenly there was a bright light in the cell. An angel of the Lord stood before Peter. So this angel appears uh, in the prison cell where Peter is sleeping, and this bright light shines everywhere, and there's probably like angelic music, like, ah, and the angel, angel looks down, and Peter's still snoring. He's still asleep. So it says the angel struck him. It had to hit him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Remember we talked about that uneven fight that was happening in this story, the fight between King Herod, Rome, and, and prayer? Well, now we're starting to see prayer win the fight. God has sent an angel to free Peter from his chains, free Peter from prison. Prayer is the most powerful weapon you can have at your side, y'all. It doesn't matter what or who you are up against. Prayer is the most powerful weapon you can have at your side. So it doesn't matter what you're up against. Just approach the throne of God and pray about it. Prayer has power. God has answered the prayers that the church was praying for Peter, and he's provided Peter a way out of prison. Verse 8, the angel told him, uh, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered so the angel started giving Peter instructions and telling Peter that there was stuff that he needed to do. Could the angel just have, poof, transported Peter out of that prison cell? Of course he could have done that. Of course he could have. But he made Peter do some work. God wanted to get Peter involved in the process. Okay, we're going down the buffet line, y'all. And here's some fried chicken for you to put on your plate, okay? Here's the fried chicken. Here's another life-changing lesson I think we can learn from this text. Following Jesus is not for lazy people. Following Jesus is not for lazy people. Following Jesus is not letting God do all the work in our lives. Following Jesus is not posting on Facebook or posting on Instagram and saying, man, this country needs Jesus, but then not actually doing anything in our own lives about it, right? We're never sharing the gospel. We're never representing Jesus well with our lives. God works in hopelessness, yes, y'all, but listen, God expects, expects you and I to work too. God does supernatural stuff, yes, but he expects us to do natural stuff. I believe that God uh, will move heaven and earth if we'll put one foot in front of the other, y'all. I believe that if you get up off the couch of life and actually start trusting God with the way you live and the decisions that you make, God will lead you where you need to go like the angel led Peter. But you got to get up. You got to do stuff. You got to start making an effort to really follow Jesus. Peter would still be in that prison cell if he didn't get off of his butt and, and move. God provided Peter a way out. God opened a door supernaturally, but Peter had to get up. Peter had to do some work in the natural. God did the supernatural, but he expected Peter to do the natural. If we pray for something supernatural to happen in our lives, we better be doing all we can in the natural world on our own. If you pray for your, your friend to, or your family member to, to meet Jesus, you better be doing all you can to tell them about Jesus, y'all. You better be doing all you can to be the one that they hear about Jesus through and they see Jesus in. If you pray to beat an addiction, you better be doing all you can in the natural world to beat it, y'all. 
You better be getting plugged in, getting community, confessing your sins to each other, cutting certain people out of your life that you need to cut, uh, getting other people in your life that you need in your life. You better be doing all you can to beat that addiction. If you're praying for healing, you better be doing all you can in the natural, going to doctor's appointments, therapies, all of that, getting the right medicine. God does supernatural stuff, but he expects us to do natural stuff because God will work through natural stuff. Let's keep reading. Verse 9, it says, So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. So Peter's being let out of prison, but he thought, man, this is, this is way too good to be true. I'm probably dreaming, right? Verse 10, it says, they passed the first and the second guard post. And they came to the iron gate leading to the city. And it opened for them all by itself, which I think is pretty awesome. So they passed through it and they started walking on the street and the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses and said, it's really true, he said. The Lord sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. Prayer won the fight. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary. Now, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is a different Mary. People had the same names back then because this is, a real, this is real stuff we're reading about, not some fictional story. People had the same names. We'll see another example of this later on in this story. Uh, but he went to the house of uh, this woman named Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. So her house is the place where the Christians are gathering, praying for Peter. A lot of the Christians are gathering in this woman's house, and they're praying for Peter. This is where the fight is happening, right? He goes to this house where the Christians were, who were praying for him, and they were hiding out. Uh, and here's a little, here's a little uh, side of a pasta salad for you, okay? Uh, we're going down the buffet line, just a little side. Uh, if you're like this woman, Mary, and God has blessed you with things, and God has blessed you with the finances and the resources and the connections and the, and the big houses and the nice cars or whatever, then you need to realize what this woman, Mary, realized. Mary clearly was well off, right? She clearly had a big, nicer house. She clearly had resources. Uh, we're going to see she even had a basically a a housemaid. Uh, God clearly blessed her in that way. And, 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 and what does she do with it all? She used it to bless and provide and care for her brothers and sisters. That's how. She offered up her own home for them to gather in, to hide in, to pray in. She used her blessings to bless others. If God has blessed you in that way, he has not blessed you so that you can hoard it all. In fact, the Bible has a lot of really harsh, really scary things to say about people who hoard their blessings from God. God blessed you in order for you to use your blessings. God has blessed you so that you can bless others, especially those in the church, especially your family, your brothers and sisters. That's what this woman Mary was doing. Like I said, that's just a little side of pasta salad. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, he, Peter, knocked at the door uh, in the gate. And a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. Instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. This girl, Rhoda, knew Peter. She clearly was a believer too. She had probably been praying for Peter with everyone else at the house. She hears a knock at the door. She goes to the door. She opens it, or she doesn't open it. She just goes to it, puts her ear up. She's like, who's this? And she hears Peter's voice say, hey, Rhoda, it's me, Peter. And this girl is so excited to hear Peter's voice. She doesn't even let the poor guy inside. She just runs to the room where everyone's praying and says, guys, our prayers have been answered. Peter is alive. Peter is free. He's right outside the door. And you'd think the believers would be like, Hallelujah. I, I knew God would do it. Let's let him in. But, but listen to verse 15. You are out of your mind, Rhoda, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel, whatever the heck they thought that means. I don't even think they knew what they were talking about. But remember the prayers these guys were praying earlier, the prayers they could barely get out through their tears. They were praying for Peter all day, y'all. 
but they didn't believe that Peter was at the door. They didn't believe that the very thing they'd been praying for all day actually happened. We're going down the buffet line, and here's some mashed potatoes and gravy for you, okay? This part of the story tells me that God answers prayers with even the smallest amount of faith. So don't let anyone tell you that if you just had more faith, God would do what you want him to do. That's obviously not true. These guys barely had any faith at all. They didn't even believe that Peter was at the door, and God still answered their prayers. Jesus said once that faith the size of a mustard seed can do things like move mountains and uproot trees. Faith is so important when you pray, but we've got to learn how to have faith when we pray. We've got to learn what does it look like to have faith when we pray. So look, I don't think that these believers that were gathered together in Mary's house that were praying for Peter, I don't think these believers had faith that God would do what they were asking him to do. Um, I don't think these believers had faith that God would do what they were asking him to do. I don't think they had faith that God would actually set Peter free when they were praying, especially after what just happened to their brother James. They were praying for James too, y'all, I'm sure. But remember, James was killed. So I don't think they had faith that God would actually do what they were asking him to do. And y'all, listen, I think that's okay. I think that's okay. Because I do think they had faith that God could do what they were asking him to do. And obviously that was enough. They didn't have faith that God would do what they were asking, but they had faith that God could do what they were asking. And I think this is a, I think, me personally, I think this is a perfect example for us on how we should pray. I've struggled with this, y'all. I've struggled with this like crazy. I'll just be honest with you. I've struggled with prayer and how faith works in prayer and how God answers prayer. There have been times where I'm reading my Bible and I get so frustrated when I'm reading about this stuff. I I just don't understand it. I throw my Bible across the room. I I get so frustrated. I've screamed at God. I've struggled with this. Uh, I've got a son uh, who uh, was born with some some pretty severe special needs, got cerebral palsy, you know, can't walk, can't talk, and and God made him exactly who he is, and I love him exactly who he is, but I still pray for his healing. I prayed for his healing for for five years, and and, and I've really struggled with how to pray for Bear, you know, what to pray for Bear, so I promise you, I'm not just some preacher up here giving you some generic speech about prayer, like this is something I've really studied and, and ripped apart more than anything else in the entire Bible. I've struggled for five years about what to pray for Bear and how to pray for my son. And here's where I've landed. When I pray for him, when I pray for him, I pray like the believers who are praying for Peter. Y'all, when I pray to God for my son, I do not pray with faith that God will heal my son here in this life. I just don't. Because who am I to say that God will do anything? I don't control God. He's not my pet, right? But I do pray with God, to God that, with faith that he can heal my son. And I present my request to him all the time, every day for five years. And so far, the answer has been no. And I've come to accept that because I trust God. And again, I know I'm walking in God's perfect plan for my life. I know I've surrendered my life to him, so I trust him. And I can rest and I can even find joy in this situation, but I will always approach the throne with that request. And I will always present that request to God with faith that he can do what I'm asking, but not with faith that he will here in this life, but that he, that he can I don't know if he will heal Bear in this life, but I know I'm praying to the one who can heal him in this life if that's what he knows is best. And that's a big if, y'all, because y'all sometimes God says no because that's what's best. And sometimes yes is not, not what's best. So think about this. Let's go back to our passage. Why did God answer the prayers that the Christians were praying for Peter to be set free from prison, but they didn't answer the prayers that I know they were praying for James too? Peter was freed. James was murdered. Listen, God did answer those prayers for James. God heard and answered 
both prayers, his answer was just no. And last I checked, no is an answer. God says no, y'all. Like any good parent, God says no. God is not our genie. God will only answer our prayers the way that he knows is best, not the way that we think is best. And thank God he does it that way, y'all. Thank God he hasn't said yes to everything I've ever asked him for. I'd probably have ruined my life. I'd probably be dead. Like any good father, God says no. For Peter, God said yes. He answered the prayer with yes because God knew that was what was best. For James, God said no. He answered the prayer with no because God knew that was what's best, even if the church didn't understand it. Y'all want to know what my daughter's first word was? It wasn't mama. It wasn't dada. It was no. That was her first word. You know why? Because she hears that word all the time. I'm a no machine in my house. I love the word no, my favorite word. I say no all the time because that's what good parents do, right? God is the best parent, and he says no all the time because he knows what's best and we don't. Uh, I hope y'all haven't seen this movie. Super stupid movie. Don't go watch it. But it's a movie called Bruce Almighty, okay? If you've seen it, don't feel bad. I've seen it too, obviously, okay? so, But uh, there's this scene in, in Bruce Almighty, as stupid as the movie is, that really stood out to me. So uh, here's the gist. Uh, Morgan Freeman is God, right? And, uh, and Morgan Freeman lets Jim Carrey be God for like a week. And Jim Carrey is new to this whole God thing. And so he has this email account set up for prayer requests. And uh, he gets like millions of prayer requests in this email. But Jim Carrey doesn't want to go through and read all, every single prayer request. And so what he does is he clicks reply all with yes, submit. He says yes to everyone's prayers. And right after he hits yes, he hears crashing outside his windows, people screaming. He walks outside, open the windows, and the entire town is literally burning down around him, right? Everything is just chaotic and going crazy. Now, stupid movie, but this may be one of the most theologically rich movie scenes ever made, okay? Like God says no for a reason. And if he said yes to everything, everything would just be going crazy, be utter chaos. We don't know why God says no to us, but we can know that he knows why, and we can know that he knows best. When I tell my kids no, they cry. They don't understand why. When God tells me no, I cry, and I don't understand why. When I tell my kids no, I know why I'm saying no, though. My daughter doesn't understand why she can't stand on the back of the couch, y'all. She doesn't understand why she can't play with the rabid cat that comes in our backyard sometimes or put her finger in the electrical outlet. I know it's for, it's for the best to say no, but she doesn't know that. You'd have to be a horrible parent to say yes to everything because we know stuff that our kids just don't know. Could it be possible that God knows stuff you don't know and that I don't know? Sometimes God says no, and I promise it's for a reason. Maybe you'll see the reason later in life. Maybe you'll never understand the reason God says no to your prayers in this life, but you trust him anyway, like Peter did, uh, like the Christians who prayed for Peter did. He's a good father. And sometimes no is a good gift from our Heavenly Father. Uh, just to give you another example, I remember when I first got into full-time ministry, one of the first things I did was I prayed for this woman who was very sick. Uh, we'll, we'll call her Miss Linda. Uh, Miss Linda was a super sweet lady, and uh, she had cancer. And uh, she was, it was pretty aggressive. She was getting towards the end of the line, and she knew it. And so she did what it says to do in the book of James. She, uh, she called for the elders and the, leader of the leaders of the church to come pray over her. So I was there, and I, I remember when I prayed for her, I prayed, God, um, I, I pray that you would just completely and, and totally heal uh, Miss Linda in Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to say, Miss Linda's right here on the front row. Miss Linda, stand up. Let's all give her a hand. I can't, I can't say that because a couple weeks later, Miss Linda passed away. God said no. 
And I remember thinking, well, God, at least take one of the grumpy ones home. You know what I mean? You don't got to take the sweet ones home like Miss Linda. It's a win-win, you know? She gets to be in glory, and we don't got to hear about them anymore. You know what I mean? But he said no. Sometimes God says no. And I don't know why he said no to that prayer from Miss Linda, but I trust him. I don't know why he says no to my prayers from my son, but I trust him. He's answered my prayers. He's answered every single prayer. He always does. Like the creator of the universe hears me and answers my prayers, but he answers, he only answers the way that he knows is best, not the way that I think is best. And I can get selfish and I can get mad at God, and trust me, I have. Or I can thank him for listening to me, for actually hearing me and answer my prayers the way that he knows is best. We can't put God in a box, y'all. A lot of Christians are guilty of this. There are two main camps in the church, really. Uh, you got one group who says God will always heal, God will always do the miracle. Uh, run from that garbage. That puts God in a box. God doesn't fit in a box. God fits into a box like I fit into a size small t-shirt, y'all. It's just not going to happen. And then the other camp of Christians says, well, well, God doesn't heal at all anymore. God doesn't do miracles at all anymore. Run from that garbage too because that's putting God in a box and God doesn't fit in a box. This story says that both those things are wrong. This story says that sometimes he says yes and sometimes he says no. But either way, he's heard us, he's answered us, and it's a gift, a perfect gift. Either way, the God of the universe has heard and answered our prayers the way that he thinks is best, whether we think so or not. And by the way, maybe we're thinking, well, maybe there was a preference shown to, James, to Peter because God let Peter be free, but, but uh, James, he let him be murdered. So was there preference shown to Peter? I don't think there was any preference shown to Peter. I think if there was preference shown at all, it was preference shown to James. Preference was shown to Miss Linda, right? You think Miss Linda would want to be on the front row right now? Absolutely not. She wouldn't want to be here. She wouldn't want to come back. You think James wants to be back on this earth after he was killed? Ain't no way he'd come back. They're with Jesus in paradise right now. No persecution, no cancer, no pain. Even when Jesus' followers die, we win. Let's keep reading. Verse 16, we're almost done. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. Hello. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them, hey, I'm kind of on the run here, so chill out. Uh, quiet down, told them how the Lord had let him out of prison. Uh, tell James, and this is again, this is not the James that, uh, that, that died, obviously. This is a different James, probably James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James that we have in the Bible, one of the big dogs of the church at that time. Again, people had the same name back then. So he says, hey, tell that James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa was obviously really angry, and so he ordered a, a thorough search for Peter. And when he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Again, Herod's very evil. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. That's the end of our story today. Now, your plate should be full. As I'm reading this story in Acts, my plate was full, okay, from the life-changing lessons that we learned from just this short little story in Acts. But if I could just leave you with one last thing, one last hot dog for your plate, okay, is this. Celebrate the wins, okay? Celebrate the wins. Live in celebration of the wins. We are negative people, aren't we? We tend to focus on the negative in life rather than the positive. We tend to focus on what God doesn't do more than we focus on what he's doing and what he's already done. We tend to focus on what God said no to more than we focus on what God said yes to, right? But Peter says, hey, go tell everybody what God has done. Go tell everybody. Go celebrate that win. Don't get so focused on what God didn't do and how he said no to the prayers about James. He had his reasons, but let's celebrate what he has done. Go tell everybody. Let's celebrate. Listen, 
uh, the first and foremost, I got to say this. If all God ever did was send his son Jesus to die for you, to make you right with God, to give you access to God, to let you go to heaven when you die, that's more than any of us could ever possibly deserve. And we have no room to complain at all. But that's not all he's done. He gives you every breath. He, you breathe, y'all. Can everybody in this room do me a favor real quick? Take a deep breath on three. One, two, three. Breathe out. The only reason you were able to do that is because God allowed you to do that. Gives you every breath you breathe. He's blessed you to live in a free country where you're free to come together and listen to me talk about the Bible right now and to scream out praises earlier. Like you're free to do that. He has blessed you to be wealthier than 75% of the people on planet Earth. If you're in here and you have a refrigerator in your house, you are in the top 25% of the most wealthy people on planet Earth, y'all. You are blessed beyond belief sitting in this room right now. But again, even if you didn't have anything and you were naked, poor, hungry, and in prison like Peter, you would still have nothing to complain about because Jesus died for you. You have eternity waiting for you in a perfect world with a perfect body, with a perfect mind forever. Like I said, my kids don't understand the no's that I give them now, but one day they'll understand why I said no to the things I say no to. One day we're going to get to heaven. We're going to have the mind of Christ, Scripture says. We're going to be able to look back and say, oh, I see what you did there. Oh, I was going through this. I was in that waiting season. And man, but thank God, thank God for that. Oh, I, I see why you said no to this prayer right here. Oh, thank you, Lord, for saying no. We're going to have the mind of Christ. We're going we're to have eternity and a perfect earth with a perfect body and a perfect mind forever waiting on us. Y'all live in celebration of that hope. Live in celebration of that hope. We are not hopeless. Hopelessness is not real for followers of Jesus. Let's celebrate the wins. Celebrate what God has done and what he's still doing in our lives. I don't know about y'all, but after studying this passage, my plate is full. I hope the same is true for you. I got a lot to chew on. Uh, I got a lot to work on, and I got a lot to be encouraged by um, just from these 19 verses. That's how awesome the book of Acts is. That's the power of the word of God. Uh, Let me pray for y'all. Father, thank you so much. for how good you are to us. You know, let me just say again, God, we just are, if all you ever did for us, Lord, was die for us and offer us abundant life and eternity with you, man, that is all, that is way more than we could ever possibly deserve. And we have no room to complain about anything, Lord, but that's not all you do. You give us abundant life, as Jesus said, life to the fullest. You let us, you let us walk in a perfect path that we can rest in and find joy in and know that we are on the right path. Father, you give us eternal life with you when this life is over. In a new perfect world with a new perfect body forever, you are way too good to us, God. Let us live in celebration of that. Thank you for stories like this in your word that we can just learn so much from, God. I pray that lives have been changed like my life has been changed from this passage. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and for the freedom to do this. We pray this all in Jesus. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.